Welcome to the Author's Porch, where every good conversation happens. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride from author to author. We want to give you an experience where you learn and enjoy the conversation. Authors tell you about their journey, you learn about new books, and at the end of the day, you go home with a smile on your face because the Author's Porch is a beacon of light bringing you home to the family you never knew you had. We hope that you enjoy the show. Hey everybody, welcome to the Authors Forge where every great conversation happens and today we are blessed to have Raymond Hunter here on the show with us today. How are you doing Raymond? Hey. We are going to give you a little insight into Raymond's life, just a quick little snippet, and then we're going to talk more because Raymond has had a very interesting life, one of which I am excited to learn more about. So Raymond's life was transformed at the age of 19, which brought him into his calling and writing the book Planet Saviors, of which we're going to learn more about after we get to know Raymond a little more intimately. So, Raymond, can you tell us what transformed your life at 19 that brought you into your calling? Well, um, I nearly drowned in a, an accident at a dam. It was high school was coming to an end, and we wow. went out on a lark and uh, walked across this dam. With wow. the, the spring, and the, the water was running pretty fast, and wow. there moss. So my, my feet slid up under me, and I found myself yep. in a, a vortex swirling around and not knowing up from down or left from right. And, wow. and it just came within an eyelash of drowning. Um, so that's a, what, what changed, changed my life wasn't that, it was the aftermath. Hmm. I, went, I went around for several weeks wondering if I was dead because wow. you know, it, was, it was such a narrow escape. I wonder, am I lying in a hospital bed dreaming all this up or am I really here? Yeah. And that never went away, but it changed, it changed your whole outlook on life. Life is something that can be snatched away at any time. And uh, it's, it's just that you, you, you looked at death in a different, in a different way. And uh, yeah. you, know, you, you live differently after that. I did it. Yeah. I can only imagine. I mean, you're you, 19 years old. I know at 19 years old, I thought that I, I was going to live forever. And I, that was at 19 is when I joined the military. So oh. I was invincible. Right. And I think every 19 year old feels they're invincible. And then for your life to your mortality to be handed to you, that that's absolutely probably the scariest thing you'll you'll ever go through almost. And then I had, hold, I, I had a hold back in the book. Um, I, my first renditions, a friend read and he said that it scared him so much. <laughs> it, was, it took his breath away. So I had to tone wow. it down some. Uh. Well, I think that that's what literature should do to people is take their breath away. But that's a that's a good review right there for sure. <laughs> so let me ask you this. You also got married at 19. Is that correct? Or was it a little bit later? Uh, yes, I did. 19. Okay. And you and you stayed and you and your wife married until her passing in 2009. God rest her soul, which yeah. is a very long, long lifespan. Yes. Um, yeah, she died in 2009 of lung cancer. Mm. Uh, it, it took five years of her life. 
Wow. Uh, those years that you had with her were were a lot of years and God bless both of you for sticking out all of those years because a lot of people don't put the work in to have a long marriage like that. And it's it's absolutely beautiful. You you had a life, a long legacy in your life because you also served in the Navy, correct? Yes, I did. Can you, can you tell us how serving well, in the Navy? It was uh -huh. a Vietnam. It was a Vietnam War era, and uh -huh. I was uh, I was my brother. My brother Gene had been in the Navy, and he tried to talk me into going. But I, I didn't like the war, and I didn't like the idea of being in the military. I despised the whole thing, and so I went into it angrily. After I graduated, I was a reserve, and, and I had to go active. Yeah. So I went down to Philadelphia Naval Yard and got processed. And they noticed that I had a mathematical background. So now you have, you have to take a time shift back in time. 1970-ish, people were um, not experienced with computers. And right. people, people say, for example, they say, there was a computer, a computer glitch. And people don't say that anymore. Computers don't make glitches, people make glitches. Yeah. And, <laughs> but there was a very interesting program. Uh, President Johnson doesn't get credit for this as much as I think he should. He was uh, he was person. He took it as a personal crusade that he was going to improve housing, onshore housing for minorities, because there was just too much evidence that there were apartment owners who weren't renting to minority servicemen in the mm -hmm. United States on our soil. And he was going to fix that. So he had a, the the armed forces go out and take a survey of all the apartments in the area, living quarters, and. Um, try to get them to sign a pledge of non-discrimination. Then they printed a report every month, and the report came out of a computer, out of a high-street printer. If you remember, that guy with the big white papers. Yeah. And they didn't trust the computer to compute percentages. So they had me and three other servicemen compute percentages. We had Frieden and Monroe calculators, and we sat there <laughs> for a couple, so a couple of days per week computing that. and did very little else other than that. Um, so that's what that, that was my Navy experience. I didn't get shot at. I had it easy I had it for, for all that I, for all that I held against going into the Navy. It was really one of the best things in my life because, you know, going to going to the Navy forced me out of Allentown, Pennsylvania, and into uh, Washington D.C. area, Arlington, Alexandria, Washington D.C. And uh, you know, I see so many people back in a hometown. You come in a small hometown where everybody knows everybody practically, and you don't leave that cozy environment, you know, and when you're, yeah. when you're in your early 20s, um, if you want to have an exciting career, you want to get out of that environment and go somewhere else. And learn, yeah. learn to live through your own means. And um, so that got me to Washington and Washington led me through a whole raft of, uh, of exciting things. I got a job there as a, a small think tank company had a, had a I had a contract with the Department of Transportation to provide mm. a, a model for the highway noise and for airport noise. Wow. And um, at the time, again, computers were new, relatively new. And there was one company, I won't say who it was, but there was one company who had a monopoly on those uh, research projects. Yeah. For, for whatever reason, our, our little company got an opportunity to do one of them, just one. But it was to do the airport and highway noise model. And 
So I didn't know anything about acoustics and I didn't know anything about computers. And I got that job and my boss figured, well, give the kid a couple of months and he'll get stuck and then we'll hire somebody who really knows what they're doing. But in fact, <laughs> I pulled it off. I, I actually made a model that was far superior to anything that existed. Wow. And, uh, and they had no idea the power that was inside of your brain. They had, they couldn't even fathom it. I didn't, I didn't know myself. Uh, I had uh, help, help from a friend, a, a guy, an older guy, you know, he was 15 years older than I was. Uh -huh. he, he helped me out in a few points where I got stuck in the, the, uh, the language, the Fortran. But uh, so that got me that. And then from there, I went to Northwestern and you got a PhD in math. Nice. So it was a, it was a but it only it really needs the Navy to get it started of all things. The thing that I didn't what I wanted least is the thing that I needed most. Yeah. I guess that's the way it works sometimes. It does. I mean, I will tell you when I was a teenager, I can remember because I, I can remember when Desert Storm kicked off and I sat and I watched it on TV and I said, I would never join the military. That is ridiculous to join the military. I have no reason why I would go and fight for all these people who would rob me blind. I just, I, I despise the fact of going to war. And then four years later, here I was raising why did you, my hand. Why did, you, why did you do that? You know, I, I will honestly say when I joined, I, I was running away from a tumultuous uh, home life. Mm. I needed to go away because if I didn't, I, I had no idea how much longer I would last on this mm. earth. So I did, and it saved me. It saved my life. And I, I couldn't go to school. I had graduated with a 1.7 GPA. I had learning disabilities as well as I didn't care about school. And it was the only way I could ever go to school. 20 years later, wow. retired. And it was the best thing that ever happened to me in my life. And 90% and of people who begrudgingly <laughs> in the beginning had like yourself and myself who not necessarily did it for the reasons that you would think join mm -hmm. it changed our lives and i love that you say that it, it was the one thing that that was kind of a pivotal moment that that helped you get into where you were now math was it something when you were younger that you always gravitated towards because it seems like it became your life's work well um for many years, uh, there wasn't the opportunity to know, even know what real math was. You know, in the public schools, they teach such a reduced version. Um, yeah. I mean, at the, at the time, the teachers were convinced that to get a good job, you had to be a fast at calculating. I'm still not mm. fast at calculating. If you ask me to divide 43 by 13, it'll take me just as long as it'll take you. Um, I'm, not, I'm not fast in that sense. So uh, public schools are focused on that, so there wasn't much of yeah. a match there. But um, when you get into real math, it's it's conceptual. It's uh, it's using your head, not your pencil. And I could give you a simple example. Um, there was once a, a very famous mathematician named Gauss, whose teacher challenged him. I, I guess they said it was as a punishment or something, a small punishment. Go to the back of the room and add the numbers from 1 to 100. Mm. And so Gauss comes back 30 seconds later with the answer. Wow. And uh, the way he did it was this. He put down one, two, three, four, five, put up to 50. 
And then under 50, he put 51. Under 49, he put 52. See it all over that. So you have 101 times 50. You have, you have 50 rows that add up to 101 each. 1551, 101. You have to do yeah. it on pencil paper. But if you do it, you yeah. see it's a really, very, very quick, clever answer. The, 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 the way some people think about math is what you want to do is learn how to add really fast so you can add the number from 1 to 100. Yeah. But a real mathematician thinks about what's the easy way of doing it. What's yes. So I didn't really know what math was until. Uh, like ninth grade or so. Uh huh. Huh. I, you know, math was one of the subjects that um, was was lost on me. I I couldn't comprehend numbers. I get numbers mixed up uh, very easily. They they switch places on me when I'm reading them. Things like that. So it was it was a tough subject for me. But I. I appreciated it and I respected math for the reasons that I needed to respect math for. And I, and I think that it's fascinating because um, the way that I, I live my life in this square grid and I understand um, it, the reasoning behind the equations, but, but because numbers mix up for me, I always had troubles with them, but oh, no. it's fascinating. Go ahead. Yeah, when I was teaching, I taught math for a number of years too. And uh, the one of the most gratifying things was to have a student come to me and say, say kind of what you've been saying, that they, they feel weak in math and they feel that they're never going to get it. It's just above their head and all that. And that was almost never true. Usually they had a couple of things that they didn't understand, that they got messed up. And because those few weak bricks, the whole uh -huh. structure wasn't solid. And once we put in good bricks, it all came together. I've seen students turn around where they thought they were doing terribly and do quite well with somebody who can walk in and patch up where the, the holes are. So you may Love not, you, you may not, you may not know that you perhaps you're actually better at math than you think. You just need to patch in some, some stuff. I love that analogy. You have to patch in the right bricks. You have to take out the weak bricks and put in those stronger bricks. Right. Now, somebody like yourself that has that that foundation and those that that linear line looking at the book that you wrote planet saviors most people wouldn't think because you wrote scholarly articles you have a program about airport noise that the u.s government still uses and a lot of people would think that you would write um, a scholarly book or a nonfiction book about your the things that you've done over your life but you wrote Planet Saviors. Can you tell us about this book and why go almost completely different than what you've worked throughout your life? Well, again, you have to go back to Allentown, starting out in Allentown. Uh, you know, when, when you, when you, when you, I don't want to cry poor, but we were poor. <laughs> it's just, it's the truth of it. And, uh, I remember I once asked my mother if I could go to college, and she said no. Mm -hmm. So I thought I was condemned to work in the Bethlehem Steel like everybody else. And yeah. I, I just, I would not do that. I just couldn't do it. I had to, I had to find a better way. And so um, in school, since I didn't think there was any chance to go to college, I just focused on the things that I liked. 
And in some ways, I think that's one of, the, one of the most wonderful things about the way I came up, because I did what I wanted to do, not what, what I was expected to do, because it didn't make any difference. I was going to go to college anyway. So um, the same thing was writing this book. I just, there was a strange confluence of things. I was reading a book by Goethe, Faust, you know, and computers were new, and we had our first laptop, or not laptop, desktop. Uh, I think it was an Apple II Plus. And I started tinkering with it at home and wanting to write something to use the, the text editor, see how that worked, and get familiar with it. And so I was reading Faust, and I thought, well, what, what, would, what would Faust look like if you rewrote it for today's context? And I sketched something out, and I kind of liked it. And over the years, that was a long time ago now, way back. <laughs> Over the years, I kind of when I was bored or something, I, I, know, I remember I had this program on a floppy floppy disk at first, and in the back, and I bring it back and forth and turn it into a three and a quarter, three and a half inch disk, and move it move it along and uh, add some to it. And over time, I just got to like the story, so I, I thought give it a whirl. Maybe somebody else will like the story too. Yeah, it's, it's not your conventional road. Um, I don't know. It's the way it, yeah. I could just do what I want to do. You're here to enjoy yourself, have a good time. Absolutely. And it sounds like this is a very interesting book. Now, you said it in the 1980s. Why that era in particular? Oh, I, no particular reason. It's just uh, we refer to sitcoms. You know, there have to be sitcoms that broadcast. They could be reruns or but <laughs> just calling it the 80s sounded good enough to, to pinpoint it. It doesn't make much difference what, what sitcoms you're watching. This character is mesmerized by the way Earthlings are so creative. Yeah. She's, she's getting this vision through the sitcoms. And yeah. Then it's happy days or whatever. Well, some of the best sitcoms come from the 1980s. I still watch all the reruns that come that Netflix and Hulu, and I'm not affiliated with either one, but if they're on Netflix and Hulu and they're from the 1980s, you better believe they're on my list and I'm watching them as I fall asleep every single night. I think I have watched the Golden Girls millions of times and all of the 1980s best because that was the best era of our history as far as I'm concerned but then I was born in 1977 so I'm a little mama's family Carol Burnett show, all those shows I love um they're they're just bring back memories to me well, Carol, Carol Burnett was so talented yes they just had a um a, a big to do I don't know if it was her birthday or if it was an anniversary or something but I saw it on the news they did a big uh, thing for Carol Burnett which is fascinating. Hmm. So you write about um, the the main character is an alien woman named Stella. Can you right. tell us a little about Stella's personality and kind of what, what she's seeking out without spoilers because we want everyone to go read the book. <laughs> no spoilers. But she is, um, to put her in context, she lives on a planet which is um, far into the future relative to Earth. I mean, they, they they figured out technology and science a long time ago. So nobody works, machines do all the work. Nobody gets sick. They've conquered all the medical medical conditions. And uh, it's everything we're striving for, namely their us in the future. Yeah. It <laughs> should be apparent. That'd be good. <laughs> and, but she, she doesn't, uh, 
I don't want to say she finds it boring, but she just finds that it's kind of a crime. Her, her way of looking at it is, you're put here to uh, enjoy life. You've been given a great gift. Her, to her, living is living with passion. Living without passion is not living. It's going through the yeah. motions. That's a, that's a strange attitude to have because everyone else was striving for perfection. They've achieved it. So why not just bask in the sunshine? You take it easy. Suck, not knock back a margarita. Um, I'll take have, one. <laughs> they, they, have, they all have what they have, and they can't understand why is she so, so uh, against the good the good life that they've carved out for themselves. Mm-hmm. And so that's her axe that she wants to grind. Now, now what you, what's going to puzzle most readers is why doesn't she just fit in? What a, what a dummy! I mean, she can have paradise just for asking for it, and she complains. She's endlessly complaining about this. So that's uh, now because of the they've created a paradise. They've also created a physical paradise. Everybody looks great. Everybody looks like a movie star. As a matter of fact, they have models. When you have a child, you, you pick a model. If you want uh, Tom Cruise or whoever you want. Yeah. <laughs> Tom, Tom Cruise. So anyway, that's that's her and that's her context. But when she sees the sitcoms, which, for scientific science science fiction point of view, is it's kind of it wouldn't happen. You do broadcast radio waves and they go out into space. But um, when you consider the '80s and how far those light, light waves had traveled, they probably wouldn't have gotten to where they'd have to go to make the story really hang together. But we'll, we'll make that allowance. Yeah. So she uh, she she falls in love with Earthlings. Her, her conception of Earthlings being so creative and imaginative and being able to make happiness out of nothing, as she puts it. She wants to go to Earth and actually see some of these characters. And maybe, get, maybe get some of them to back to Earth with her, I mean, back to Moon with her, and teach them how to do it. So, now, she's beautiful, because she's genetically engineered to be perfect. Right. And she um, attracts quite a bit of attention from the boys, of course. And she meets one in particular who's a, a superhero legend of sports and academics, and they fall in love and have a, a, a wonderful weekend. And then she has to uh, get a couple more recruits to come back with her. And then they come back, and all this has to resolve. You know, she has to come back home and um, face the uh, the problem that she created herself. Hmm. And uh, they have to resolve their romantic relationship, but they're both. He, by the way, is trying to save a planet too. That's why it's called Planet Saviors. Okay. He's trying to save Earth because he, uh, this may seem a little strange, but he's trying to save Earth from the evils of capitalism, as he sees it. Now, you don't really meet people on the street who, who talk that way, but John is a special character. He's got a huge, <laughs> ego. He's got a huge ego, and he loves to put it in your face. So whereas where someone else might self pedal and say, well, some of the, some of the socialist ideas are, 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 are worthwhile looking into or um, you support them, but you wouldn't go, mm-hmm. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a capitalist, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a communist. Mm-hmm. You, wouldn't, you wouldn't normally find people saying that, but he, he does because he wants to be in your face. He wants to argue. Oh. He's got this giant ego and uh, he carries around with him. So um, throughout the book, um, there are different characters and they all, I think the way they all evolve together is they all learn something about themselves through this, through this adventure, something that they didn't really know. Okay. And how do the how do the aliens 
kind of view the earthlings? Well, that's a good question because that's what, that was my question too. Uh, when we hear every year, you hear these uh, reports about UFOs being sighted. Now, now, now they're down in Florida. You know, some pilots go up and say see them every day. Yeah. So um, I don't know how you feel about that, but I, I think there's a pretty good chance that there's somebody out there. I agree. And, At least I'm hoping. Yeah. Well, I always wonder why would they want to come here? I mean, if they can fly here, <laughs> if they can fly here, they can do something we can't do. We can't yeah. travel those distances. So why would they come? And then secondly, what would, if they came here, would they find, like Stella, you know, like Stella comes here expecting to find uh, sitcoms in real mm -hmm. life. And what would, what would, when they got here, would they, would they be uh, disappointed? How do we measure up throughout the universe? Because if you take a look at, if, assuming that there's millions of copies of us around, are we an outstanding example of what uh, intelligence is capable of? Or are we just ho-hum average? What, what are they seeing us? And that, that, that's kind of one of the things we want to address in the book. Yeah. Well, so I'm a big Trekkie, and I'm, I'm, I'm obviously I tell everybody that, and I watch all. That's another show that I rerun all the time is Star mm -hmm. Trek: Deep Space Nine, being my favorite, because I want to go live on a space station out in space but not until after the Federation is created because I need to make sure that I'm safe and that I could get back if something happens to the space station. <laughs> but, you know, for me, I believe, yes, that we would be interesting. And yes, you know, we're, humans are going to create the Federation. We're going to create this unity because I think that, you know, we, we have this ability to bring people together. So well, but think, that's the Trekkie in me. <laughs> well, I, I like that. And, and the way that fits in is um, I think everybody, when they read it, should just uh, challenge me uh, when there's arguments, the arguments put forth about how they perceive us. If you think it's, it's yeah. nonsense, uh, you have the right to feel that. Interesting. Yeah. And I, I, I agree with you. I mean, if, like you say, if they're, if they're that far advanced and we're not even close to it, how could we ever even conversate with people, with species mm -hmm. that, that just are out of our league? <laughs> much less, much less have romance. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You have a It would be a very interesting topic to explore for sure. So what is your main message for this book? What is the message you want to give across to your audience with this book? Oh, I don't know if there is a main message. I think that the, uh, the view of their perception of Earth and mm -hmm. um, the, main, the main thing is, do you agree with it or disagree with it? And what are your uh -huh. reasons? Just an exercise, you know, think about, talk about. To open the dialogue. Yeah, that, that would be enough. Yeah. That would, that would make me happy. Yeah, for sure. I think it's a great dialogue to have, and it's something that we need to start conversating about. All the years of looking at people who believed in aliens, believed in UFOs, and everyone telling them it's not real, that, that era is over. There's, there's something other than human life in our um, in this expanse and we need to start 
talking about it. We need to start opening up our brains and realize that there's something and we need to start exploring that. And I think that's the beauty of uh, human beings is we can start to have those conversations. So that's a great way to start that dialogue. Do you have any other projects that you're currently working on now that Planet Saviors is out? Um, I haven't started anything new yet, but I probably will. Yeah. Awesome. Will it be along the lines of this same genre, or do you think that you'll work on something else maybe? Well, you know, what I think I do is I would cheat. I think when you're looking for an idea, the best, best way to get it is to cheat. And the way you cheat is uh, go back and find any book, any old book, an old, old book, maybe written two, three hundred years ago, and put it into a modern context. If it was a good book 300 years ago, it's a good book today. Yeah. You just have to put it in, a, in a terms that people can understand. So there's an endless supply of things to write. True. They never run out. That's you, true. You just have to pick the one that catches your fancy at the moment. <laughs> Absolutely. So that it's it's such a fascinating topic as well is looking at taking some of the literary greats and modernizing the dialogue within them and making them more open to the current day audience. And I think that when we do that, we start to blend the old with the new and allow people to understand what the literary greats were trying to say, but not necessarily had the right dialects and the right dialogue to, to share with how our way of thinking is today. So that's a great way of saying that. I, I had, uh, I remember one time I read a book, Petronius, Satyricon, mm -hmm. and that's a translation. And uh, then I read another one and it wasn't nearly as good. It kind of spoils the whole thing. You have to do a good job of translating it. That's yeah. true. So. You can't just knock something off. You've no. got you've to know what you're doing. Absolutely. Well, Raymond, I've had an absolute wonderful time talking with you and learning about Planet Saviors and your life's work um, in the, while in the Navy, outside the Navy with mathematics and all the wonderful things that you're going to come up with in the future. Is there anything we didn't touch on that you want to bring up before we head out? I'm going to place your link here so people can grab it and click on it and they can go and check out all the things that you are involved in. Um, no, there's nothing, nothing I have further. Awesome. Well, I've had a great time learning about you and all the yeah. things that you do. And I hope that when your next project comes out, you'll come back and talk to us and let us discover more of the, the worlds that you weave and the stories that you're going to share with us, because I think it's delightful. It's a great concept. And thank you for opening up the dialogue so that people can start the conversation. What's out there and what would they think of us here on earth as, as human beings? So thank you so much for being here with us today, Raymond. You're a great host. Well, thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Guys, come back. We'll be back in 30 minutes with another guest. We appreciate Raymond for bringing his work here with us today. And we'll see you guys later. Bye, everybody. Bye, Raymond. Bye. Bye.